is uh, a beautiful, a beautiful day. Too wow. hot. It's too hot to get out to go outside. It's like 95 degrees, and it's like almost nighttime. Is it worse for? Is it worse for you? Or better? Is it better for you? I don't know. It's like 95. Is that is that good? Is that bad? I That's don't know. Bad. No one wants that. You know what kind of weather that is? That's a kind of weather that you stay indoors. And this podcast, interestingly enough, uh, our last, what is it, 210 or so episodes, they've all been about air conditioning, air conditioning modules, keeping your air conditioner up to date and inspected, um, keeping your air That's conditioner so healthy. so funny and true. Uh, and, you know, one thing we never talk about, uh, let's let's break, branch off this episode because I feel like we've done a lot of the air conditioner talk this year and there hasn't been that much air conditioning news the the recent aircon which is the air conditioner uh convention i don't know why i had to explain it it was obvious to everyone uh thanks for uh going out of your way for that one i know uh the recent aircon you know we we just got back we shared all of our news our views and i feel like we should branch off and something i've been meaning to talk about is stuff that is fun to do indoors when you're just chilling with your air conditioner nothing nothing is fun no well how do you well you don't you can't tell me one way to have fun indoors with an air conditioner you could rustle you could um rustle wriggle wriggle you could wave i don't understand these are my favorite ways are these like emotes uh well you know some people would call them emotes, but those are electronic, so I call them uh, motes. P-motes. 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 So that's what I do. You P-mote. What do you do? You P-mote at your air conditioner. Um, well. Oh, and I thank it. Oh. oh well, for, well, for a really long time, whenever I was hanging out with my air conditioner, I would just, um, uh, like a fan, you know how you, like you try and sing into fans and then your voice sounds distorted? I would try and do that with the air conditioners, and for the past couple of years, I've been realizing that they're actually, you don't get a sound distortion off of yelling into your air conditioner. Um, so really, other than that and putting my shirt over the air conditioner so that the air blows up into my shirt, um, I don't know. I've really run out of things to do Have with my air conditioner. Have you thanked it? I thank it every night. You know, I, I light a candle underneath it. I say, thank you. Thank you for giving me my coldness, my cool air, taking away yeah. the heat. I, I just don't understand because is it not repeatedly cooling you? It it cools all the time. It, it you know yeah maybe so I'm, maybe I'm asking thank it. Uh, maybe I'm asking too much right? Maybe I'm asking too much. Maybe maybe just the fact that it is cooling me should be enough. Maybe we can have another two hour podcast about air conditioners. Uh, even though the last two hundred ten have been about that, and we're running out of news just because. It might be rude to talk about anything other than air conditioners when they give us so much. They tr they work so hard for our enjoyment. Let's save secondary conversations to winter, sort of when the air conditioner goes off. And then what I'd like to cover... Maybe you, wait, hold on. You take your air conditioner season. out in winter? No, I leave it in. No, I, but, I leave know, it I in, too. I don't turn it on. Uh, but oh, I think that during oh, the wow. winter, maybe that, that we is, should just I, I don't feel like we at all agree on this podcast anymore. We should just cover heating, I think. What the? What are, you, are you really going to come at me with something like heating? Do you ever? That's not like, the same how thing. How cold does it have to get for you to turn on your heating? 
I don't turn on my heating. I'm air conditioning all the way. Okay. I don't know. I don't know what kind of person you are. I thought we ha- we had an agreement. We were both air cons forever and airheads. Air for me, it has to get to like ten degrees or below for me to turn on the heat. I don't know about you. Hmm. I don't like that. How cold does I always it get? Have, I always have my air conditioning. I always have how, my air conditioning. How cold? How always. Cold, how cold does it have to be? Yeah. I mean, I wish it was so cold that I was a frozen statue. So I could always hang out with my air conditioner. Do you want to be at like, is your like dream, like your life goal to just hit zero degrees Kelvin just yeah. once? Yeah. And then really experience it. Turn into a, a, a uh, like a, a caveman kind of thing. Be frozen. Then in a hundred years, I want people to dig me uh, holding my air conditioner up uh, and then, you know, thaw me out. And then for me to tell them, hey, I got this really cool thing. It's an air conditioner. And then everyone will tell me, oh, we got air conditioners that we put on our uh, in our uh, jet, our life packs, because the world is no longer inhabitable, so we all wear basically what amounts to spacesuits. But the spacesuits have uh, heating and cooling in them, and they're gel cooled, so we don't even use air for like your old air, your primitive air conditioning technology. And I'm like, oh, you wow. know, we're doing this conversation. It, it seems like no matter what we do, we can't escape the air conditioner conversation. So what I want to talk to you about is. You know, let's try to blend this into something a little bit more natural. I want to talk about air conditioning in the wild, in public spaces. I want to talk about how much air conditioning is required to cool, let's say, an event hall. Let's say you're getting a bunch of people together in one location. How much air conditioning power do you need? How many BTUs are needed to cool an event like Evo or like Gen Con? What are, what are those about? I have no idea. I think it's like a nerd thing, but we're here to talk about air conditioning. I know. That seems uncomfortable to talk about. I mean, I, I do love when when non-air conditioner fans, when the uninitiated, uh, try and use air conditioners, and they're like a big, you know, they talk how much they're a big fan of air conditioners, and it's like, okay, we don't even call it being a fan because that's rude in our industry because we don't technically always use fans, but... Uh, See, people always want to want to talk up BTUs, but it's not about the BTU alone. The BTU is not a good indicator unless you're measuring it against the square footage. It's about the it's GPF. Really about that. It's really about the GPF. I, I think that it's 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 the the whatever that is that you just said, and it's gallons the, the per BTU flush per per square foot. Yeah. So, was there like a big? There was like a big air conditioning event. This weekend? Uh, yeah, there was a big air conditioner event called Gen Con where they try to get as much like heat sweaty humans sweat into an area and then try and, and then they attempt in, fu- in futility to cool, to cool it down. That's the whole the whole event is just packing as many uh, sweaty man children into one space and then seeing if you can actually cool it down and seeing that even if the if the temperature is actually uh, like, you know, 55, 60 then do the man children still sweat? And the answer was yes. I'd love to go to Gen Con. We're going next see year. See if I can stay cool. We're going know? next year. Aren't we, aren't we? I thought we already talked about this. We're doing an air conditioning booth. So what is Gen Con though? Because I actually don't know. Because it seems like Gen Con covers a couple of different things at once, doesn't it? I don't know. I hope you have an answer for me after that. I hope that was like a you know a straw man argument kind of thing. Just like build me up. You know, unfortunately. I don't know. Is Gen Con, maybe we should look this up. Maybe we should do our research before we start 
uh, podcasting like this. Whoever has ever done that. We haven't. But, you know, the crazy thing is, like, last week, we actually did a lot of upfront Gen Con conversation because before Gen Con, Gen Con started, yeah. uh, a lot of the announcements had already come out about it. I know today I just saw that uh, Eric Lang announced that in 2019, uh, him and Simon, cool mini or not, are doing a Bloodborne miniatures game, which is, if there's going to be something that I would want miniatures from, I think I would be at that actually. But what do you mean? Yeah, it probably would suck. I, the Dark Souls one is apparently not very good. The Dark good. Souls one is apparently not very good. Is that Simon? I think it is. It would have to be, right? Maybe not. Maybe I'm done. Uh, Gen Con is just the original longest running gaming convention in the world. Uh, the reason why I wasn't sure what it was is because I follow the Adventure Zone subreddit, you know, uh, the Adventure Zone run by the McElroy Brothers D&D podcast with their dad. And uh, there were people, you know, going to Gen Con. And, and you know, I was well, like, oh, it, so is it just about like a D&D that? thing? So that's kind of, isn't that table topping? Yeah. And then I figured, oh, that makes sense. But then I saw that people are cosplaying to Gen Con. Oh, and I thought that, to I myself, man, I can't wait to. But every convention go to has Gen cosplayers, right? I'm gonna cosplay as a giant meeple. I want to. Oh God, that is. It has to be done constantly, right? I want to cosplay as a uh, fifty-sided die and then just roll around. I want to cosplay as the brand director from Food Chain Magnate. Oh, I want to be Pizza Chef. Let me be Pizza uh, Chef. Man, but you you see like pictures and stuff about Gen Con and and man, that seems like such a cool convention to go to. Probably one of the cooler ones. Probably cooler than something like E3 or PAX. Well, is because it because of the air conditioning the, or one of the hardest parts about being a fan of board games is getting people together to play board games. And like if you go to Gen Con, it is a non-stop I feel like you're just doing non-stop board game board orgy, games, right? right? Like like it is just a bacchanalia minus the sex it would just be like yo we've been hanging out playing board games all day want to come back to my hotel and just do a couple lines of machi koro yeah man hell yeah hell yeah let's do it let's get in some seven wonders duel there's gonna be like 15 people in the same room playing seven wonders duel and like they're all dueling each other two set all like six sets of two just getting it down that's like a swingers party is like all the couples end up uh playing uh 1v1 games to get but they're all playing against their SOs in or the LTCPs in a room. That's how you really that's how you live dangerously. That's how you keep the spice alive that's in the marriage. That's how it goes, huh? Yeah, that's how it goes. Uh so did you see anything exciting coming out of Gen Con? I feel like my favorite part of Gen Con was the Amazon Gen Con board game sale. Oh, was that what that was re- related to? That makes it sense. Was, yeah. Okay, interesting. Um, uh, no, because I, I mean, like, there was a bunch of interesting announcements. I saw that Rob, for whatever reason, the guy who invented Legacy, Rob Daviau, the I, who who gets brought up on this podcast a, like a lot, actually, because I buy a lot of Legacy games, and he kind of invented that format because he was the originator of uh, of Risk Legacy. Uh, but he is like working with like everyone. Like, it, like, I feel like Gen Con, I was expecting more announcements, like sort of an E3 for board gaming. And I don't know if it was about that. I think that was, it was more of, and this is like, like a ton of news came out, but so, it all came out beforehand. Yeah. Like, like, like it, but it wasn't like there was like a big keynote with like tons of like here, like breaking, breaking, breaking. We got more and more news. Simon is doing another 
uh, miniatures game, and everyone, you know, they get freaked out. They're like, what the hell? Simon, a miniatures game? What? Wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, all I, I feel like all I heard, the only news I was ever getting from it was like, Rob Daviau is working with the designers of Machikoro, which is real, uh, to make a Machikoro legacy. And like, and then like the thing would be like, oh, that's interesting. And I'd scroll down the page a little bit. And it's like, Rob Daviau is working with Isaac Childress to make this, this new thing, which is real. A Gloomhaven and, legacy game. A Gloomhaven. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then just like keep scrolling down to the point where it's just like Rob Daviau is working with a local pizza store owner to make a legacy style pizza where as you eat it, it, it doesn't exist anymore. And it's like, come on, Rob Davi, can you get your fingers out of, out of anything? Why are you, you're working with all pizzerias at the same time? Where, where do they, how do you even set up a deal like that with all the privatized pizzerias? Is there a pizza con? Does that need air conditioning? I bet it does. It definitely does. It, it gets definitely hot does. With all it gets hot in, with a lot of pizza men in the same, a lot of pizza chefs in the same place. But that's the one. See, imagine see that's the convention that has all a, that has yeah. the real orgy. And imagine being able to produce eight pizzas at once. The the size of the ovens you would need. Yeah. Um. I mean, Pizza Chef doesn't. Hold on. Have you not read the lore for Food Train Magnate? Pizza Chef doesn't cook the pizza. It's kind of like the booze from Dragon Ball where he just tears skin off of his body and it becomes, it slowly, you know, grows outwards and becomes pizza and then his skin regenerates. He is an ever, he is an ever regenerating pizza man. I mean, that was true in the base game of Food Chain Magnate, but I guess you're not familiar with the expansion that happened in the Food Chain Magnate lore where, you know, the pizza chef teams up with Rob Deviau and each new pizza that he creates is actually a new conceptual pizza chef idea of a legacy game. Oh, so essentially every Wait, time where, when did produces, this come out? I didn't I've never heard anything like this. Eight new concepts. Wait, are you? Oh, my God. The pizza chef is a metaphor for Rob Daviau's weird legacy ideas. I yeah, never heard well, of, I didn't eventually, I, when when did this lore come out? I, I'm not familiar with this. I thought it was all up to date. And the crazy thing is that at some point you have more pizza than you can possibly sell. And what the hell are you going to do with all of these legacy games? Um, because there's a market limit. Yeah, <laughs> that might be one of the hardest market limits. I don't know. You got to you got to get to work. You gotta have a group that that aggressively meets to get that to to burn through any, these legacy games. Yeah. So, were there any games that you like heard about or saw at Gen Con, like people talking about or sharing for the first time, that got you really excited, or um, that made you think, "I want to buy that immediately"? I mean, I mentioned last week that Rob Daviau, oh, he's of course working on it. He's working on a um, betrayal, uh, a betrayal legacy game where you. Wherein you start with a house that's not haunted, and then as bad things happen in the house, it gets increasingly haunted. Um, love that! I actually really like that concept because people you you were even like joking about and talking about with the the uh, what is it the dragon's tower what dragon's tomb dragon's tomb um, last week uh, about how betrayal has all these problems, and I haven't really like I played. I it's played, a fun game. Yeah, I, I like played it the a betrayal, lot. the like the Baldur's Gate, the Baldur's Gate betrayal, and I feel like the thing about the legacy betrayal is that it would probably lead to the most 
like just fun and it shouldn't have like necessarily a winner it should just have kind of like a almost gloomhaven style of like story of like how much can you mess up this house with horrible things um that game seemed really interesting to me uh so we talked about uh keyforge last week on in the beginning of the podcast and we didn't really have some of the details right and when that when the details kind of came together for me and when i looked up researched it a little bit more the day afterwards um uh i actually got much more excited about the concept um and i i watched a video uh of Richard Garfield, the creator of that, and uh, I, I did not know that he was the creator of Magic. Or I think we might have talked about it, but um, I watched a video of like a, a playthrough with a person who wasn't very uh, smart, and like it was a very hard to watch playthrough, and uh, it was very loud in the convention center. But still, I gleaned enough off of it, and uh, it is very exciting. A couple. Uh, like notes of addition to what we like an addendum to what we talked about last week for for those who didn't make it to the end of the podcast well we were in the beginning of the podcast but uh when we talked about that but uh so we we were wrong with something people Uh, tune in for the first five minutes of this yeah when we when we riff on what we're going to actually talk about and then we eventually settle on board games and video games um so keyforge is a um it it is definitely unlike, I think, anything that has ever existed, and that's why people really are excited about it. It is not a card collection game. Um, it is not like a trading card game or anything like that. It is a game where you... It is a card game, though, and it's a deck-based card game, uh, but you get a uh, randomized deck uh, that cannot be traded or mixed with anything, um, because you, you basically buy like a deck booster. So it's not a boost. So you don't buy a booster pack. You buy a deck and that is a bespoke deck, uh, made of like made between like every deck has three different of these like race races, like these racial archetypes that have their own synergies, um, that are based around different things, like a defensive race and offensive race, like, uh, you know, ha- more hand management or like a hurt self, uh, to heal self or like, st- like, I don't know, stuff like that kind of all these different types of like concept conceptual races and three, ra- three randomly go into each pack. And then the packs randomly have cards from each of those from three of those sets. Uh, Sounds complicated. And, uh, yeah, so cr- so it creates, like, a bespoke deck with its own sort of, like, try to find your own synergy and f- try to find I, out what, what like works. Imagine, the weird, like, the weird shit that's going to happen because of this. Yeah. The seedy underbelly of Keyforge... Cheaters? Key forgeries. Key forgeries. Key yeah, people. Forgeries. People like, oh yeah, I got this weird deck that just uh, only has one of this archetype of races, and it just works out perfectly, huh? Um, but, but uh, we. So we were talking a little bit about about that, and I was, you know, one of the things that I was interested in is like, okay, so then what is the proof and like that the deck is uh, random? So on the back of uh, every card and the decks you get, um, it has a randomized image of the Archon that you are supposedly, that is supposedly, like, controlling this, this deck, like, the, you know, the, the card master or whatever, um, or the summoner, I guess, uh, and it's a randomized image with a random color, it shows the three races involved in the deck, and then every card in the deck has a randomly generated name, 
uh, on the bottom of the name of the like archon that it's relating to. Uh, so the the cards will not be um, you'll not be able to really like shuffle them in together or pick ones you like and then create a better deck because the backs of the cards have um, have like uh, uh, show which deck that they're supposed to be in. Um, it's I think it's a really interesting concept. I, I want to see more of how exactly because it sounds like it's really freeform. They talked about like what was it like seventeen trillion combinations of decks and stuff like that, and 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 yeah, all this like uh, randomness that yeah. goes into it. But it's got to be because like I, I think your butt there had to, was going to be followed by the fact that like that is scary because what is the overall balance like like I mean there there's something interesting there of like. We're not. It's not like a trading card game where we're asking you to buy tons and tons of boosters or to like ex- buy expensive rare cards in the set to be able to make a deck. You're just buying a ten dollar deck. So doesn't that seem like there's not a bad uh, buy-in? But I guess if there were like tournaments that people were going to go to, that there would be sort of like you'd have to buy tons of decks to maybe find one that had good synergies. But then. At the same time, I gotta crit- I gotta like step back and be like, is that even what this game is about? Is the game more about like you buy a deck and your friend buys a deck and then you open them up and you look at them for a little bit and you play a couple rounds and you like try and figure out like what the hell is going on in your deck if there is any interesting synergies and you try and like make. Or what if the game strat- is about a legendary deck that's so strong, Exodius. that it's the only one that matters and that deck is sold for ten thousand dollars? Yeah. Somebody just like cracked the code to this like amazing deck. Like, what if you or I open a deck that's so powerful, and since it's unique, so powerful that it becomes extremely valuable? Yeah, it's weird to think about, right? Possibly. I don't know. Like, I feel like there is a lot of hype going uh, behind it. I feel like uh, I-, I think that there is space for this game. I feel like. Uh, it's gotten backing by uh, card gamers and board gamers, so it kind of like interestingly, uh, like could have a an interesting. It could have an interesting life. I don't know. I I want to see how people take to it, and I want to see how the overall design works and how the decks end up shaking out. I think it's cool if they are really like end up being like really interesting, weird, random decks because th- there's something about like cards that are just okay in a set and they might never get played but they're kind of like situational or interesting and uh they would be passed over in other card games like hearthstone or 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 magic because you have a a tight deck number and maybe you want to get and you want to have cards that all work together for synergy rather than having that many one-off interesting cards that are like powerful and there are also so many ways that this could break down right because imagine the situation where there's just this one two card combo that's really good. And you know, it's just two cards, so it's not that crazy. But because of it, any deck that doesn't have at least that two card combo is considered irrelevant. Um not, I mean, not impossible. Not impossible, but would it be that important for like the the idea of it for would be like for a tournament would be the, I assume that like everyone opens up the decks, they record uh, the name yeah, on the back of your deck, and then you just go, and like you don't necessarily get that combo, and you don't See, have maybe that. Maybe I'm crazy, but I think you open three and you choose. Yeah, that's well. You're just now you're just uh, making your own uh, like fan fiction rules. I think that that makes yeah, the that most makes, sense. That, that, make right? sense. that yeah. you open three, and that at any point in the tournament you could choose 
between one of those three decks that you've opened. Yeah, I mean, it It really is interesting. It's, like, super, super interesting. I, I, the concept alone has me really jized because I like card games, but I don't necessarily like uh, card games that would, like, have me buy in forever. And I think there's some interesting things because you would... Here, think about the different ways that this apparently would work. It's, like, they they plan to print more sets, but if they print more sets, then you don't need the old cards. I think that's amazing. That's a crazy idea. Like, I think that's a really good idea by its on its own is like, you could buy in whenever you wanted. You could skip out on this first set and then people end up loving it. And then they're doing a new expansion with all these new expansion cards. And you never needed to buy the old things because you don't, you know, you don't create a deck anyway. Yeah. Like you don't build a deck Another in this game. Another good thing is that like, with everything that they create, they're not beholden to what they've created before. Hearthstone has this problem where no matter what you do, the mage has ice block. Okay, so we retire ice block to wild, but then like mage still has an identity and they have to maintain that identity. And we just released an expansion, so we need to consider the last expansion while we're printing the new expansion because those two will always exist next to one another whereas with keyforge as soon as a new expansion comes out practically everything is new yeah like you don't i i would wonder certain things i i from what i've read i i don't have an answer to this but i wonder if like you they make an expansion and that expansion just gets folded into the core set so you when you're buying like the new expanded cards um that it's like well you have a chance to get these expansion cards but no, I think that would be a very bad idea. That would be a very bad idea. I mean, that, I think that... that's a bad idea because there could be a set of cards in the original that synergizes so well that in the future, were you ever to buy a deck with the expansion, then you're like muddying the waters with like bad cards. So I think that if you do an expansion, that it just has to be like new stuff or, or something like that. I. This is a tricky one. I'm this, not entirely sure how. Yeah, you're not Richard Garfield either. But um, uh, I I mean, yeah, sure. If they just do a, a straight up expansion and it's like, here's another 350 cards, and we mix them all up in a blender, and here you go, like whatever comes out of it comes out of it, uh, then it's cool because if you miss the first thing and people loved that first core game, then you could just buy in at the expansion and. Maybe you only ever drop the ten dollars, and then you just keep playing with that deck if it's interesting or fun. I I think it's fun because the decks would have like that. Like I I feel like I I kind of like um uh that bespoke aspect of it, and I kind of like the idea of owning a deck that is like this deck uh plays in a very defensive style, and it plays with these cards, and you just and like. The, the chance, I mean, you're not going to fall in love with every deck, but the idea of you falling in love with a deck that works in a certain with a certain archetype or has a certain synergy or a certain combo or a certain win condition that you fall in love with, once you get that, it's like yours. It's not necessarily like, you know, everyone else is out there deck building. Like you find you found that and it's and it like fits your personality and it'll be exciting to like have that and own that and be like, here is my defensive... It's cool, yeah, and I the... like it, but but what you're saying is sort of like a, a very dreamy interpretation of this. At the I know, same time. I I know, I I I I feel like I prefaced it like that. I mean, I some of it is so the, the whole thing could turn out to be garbage. Uh, there's every chance that it could be, and there could be 
really immediately broken combos to the point where uh, you know, you would have tournaments that get rolled over because someone opened the lucky pack that has like these two cards that we found out beforehand are like really broken. I'm at in the same time. Uh, I feel like uh, one of the reasons why you get to explore the overpoweredness of certain combos or the the like having a synergy that is too powerful is because you have a massive amount of people like in in the hearthstone situation you have a massive amount of people and they have the cards and they could do what they want when they put the deck together but maybe it's harder to find synergies at all to be to begin with when like people are playing their deck and it has that certain synergy but like i i you you can't really like necessarily yeah. expen- experiment that much with it when it's not when that synergy doesn't exist in every deck and then for anyone else to experiment with that synergy they'd have to like buy tons and tons and tons and tons of decks until they encounter another deck that has those cards in it yeah i feel you uh i mean we'll, in a way we'll this see. could be like slay the spire where sometimes you just get that awesome combination that totally works out and, and you coast through and sometimes you don't. Yeah, and that's I mean, okay. sure, I guess. The playing is fun. But I love Slay the Spire, um, so much. And uh, yeah, I just, I just, I feel like that is a like I do have like dreamy eyes when I think about like sitting down with a good pal and a good brew, and then popping open a pack, look shuffling through it a little bit, looking at it, being like, oh, this card would work with this card and oh my god you know how i could play this and you know how i could win this game was with this card and this is going to be the card that i'll save till later on and then trying it out seeing what they got seeing how their their whole weird random thing worked out and seeing how my whole weird random thing worked out i don't think you necessarily because like i don't think the game was designed for you to like like sure there will be people who like bring their deck around that they've like you know opened up two hundred dollars worth of packs and found or you know times that by ten and found like the perfect combination and they're going to bring that around and like have you know like like check out my deck versus your deck um let's compare decks but uh but i feel like the more important thing really is the idea of this like pure purest card game of like it's not about it's about the playing of the cards and it's not about the building of the decks or anything like that you know it's about like who is the smartest with what they're given rather than who can take a good concept they found and like net net deck the hardest see now this got us into a conversation about what we were excited about from gen con i just saw a lot of people talking about root and i thought yeah what is what is root about i know it's a asymmetric root is a game of adventure and war in which two to four players battle for control of the vast wild wilderness are you reading something off the website oh yeah yeah Okay, so what does that mean for me as the player? That sounds like a very nice... So it's kind of cool because it's an asymmetrical game where it seems like depending on which class you pick, you're sort of doing different things. Where there's one class that's built on like engine building and logistics, and then there's one class that's built on like territory control and capture. So it seems like depending on what class you pick determines what kind of game you're going to play. Okay. That's a neat idea, but more neat than that is the art. The art style of it is Night in the Woods, 100%. Okay, that that's a beautiful art style. I owe it to myself to 
play that game on Switch because I own it and I have not. Oh, I don't even want to talk about that. I have so many. Sometimes I know this sounds crazy. Sometimes I think about going on like a sabbatical, like a three month sabbatical, just to catch up. Just to catch up on all the games. That yeah, I know you got to climb up. You, you know what? You know what I want to do is there is there are those um, like meditation retreats where you're not allowed to speak for a week and like no one says anything and you don't communicate and you don't necessarily write anything down. You kind of just chill. But uh, I don't know if there's anything against playing video games, but I would just quietly play video games for a week and not speak. My to idea anybody. of like a dream vacation would be to be at home with like a two hour like walk each day or like not one to two hour walk each day or like bike ride or something like that. And other than that, I would want to have a maid and a personal chef. And then I just play video games and then the chef makes me what I want and I don't have to worry about cleaning. And so I'm essentially just like stretching my legs a little bit each day and just like clearing my backlog. Yeah. I like it. How do we, you know what we got to do? We got to start a get a vacation video game getaway where you basically you sign up uh, for a certain amount of time and then you uh, you you write down what your backlog is and you get it done and we monitor you. And maybe that's less fun because we'd be kind of hovering over your shoulder like, yeah, how far are you? How far are you in that? Did you no, finish? Because I think did you finish Moonlighter everybody... yet? I think most people want to talk about what they're playing, right? I think that that's part of the experience. So I feel like, third, like you know, as they're getting into bed, they're getting snug. Maybe they're having their nightcap. Do we um, talk you to like them meet with them and you say, so how was your game today? What did you play? What did you think of it? Oh, I played man. Yakuza 0. I got to the Dominatrix and SNM mission. It was amazing. Well, why was it amazing? Because it was just so ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, I can understand that. I, too, just did that mission. Tell me about it, Mason. I'm tucking you in right now, metaphorically. Yakuza 0 is such a good game. I am... am I. It, it's this weird situation where every time that I'm walking through the city, I'm finding this new weird thing. And in most games like this... They just like mark a bunch of stuff on your map, right? Where in GTA, there'll be like, oh, here's where you go. Or in Assassin's Creed, here's where you go if you want to do the racing event. Here's where you go if you want to do the escort mission. Here's where you, and, and that's not how it is in Yakuza. You're walking down the street and someone will be like, hey, you, come direct our movie. Hey, come join our pocket racing circuit where you race these little handheld cars. Uh, or more recently, I was in the situation where I saw this uh, scantily clad dominatrix talking to this to this customer outside, and she was being really nice to him. And the customer was getting frustrated because he wants to be like harassed and abused. So the main character takes it upon himself to give her lessons in being mean to people. <laughs> And you you just get all these options and like so, so so one of your options is like you can call him a disgusting pig or you could say it's not like I like you or anything. Oh, I like that one. Go with that one. 
the ladder. So then eventually, like, you, you, you tell her this, and she says, like, oh, why did you choose that option? And then he, like, explains himself. And then after you've gone through all of this pep talk, you get to essentially see it happen, like, see see the exchange with her and the customer again after you've, like, trained her up. And, like, that's the game. And this game also takes place in, like, the late 80s, early 90s. So there's also all of this, like, I guess, like, pop culture stuff where at one point you're shooting a music video uh, for Michael Jackson doing Thriller. But he wants it, like, the zombies to act realistically and, like, they really want to attack him. So you need to escort Michael Jackson down the street as he's moonwalking and all of these zombies are coming after him and you have to defend him from the zombies. Okay. It is just that is so bizarre. And I have only made it to chapter two of the game because I keep getting sidetracked by all this stuff that I want to do, which is super, super rare in an open world game for me to want to be sidetracked. Mm-hmm. That's good. I'm surprised you had that. It, uh, it's it's weird to have that relationship with an open world game just because if you had a problem with a backlog before, then good luck. Oh, I know. But I'm not, it's the only story-driven game that I'm actually playing right now because I don't consider Octopath to be a story-driven game. Well, uh, yeah, I guess not. It's not very driven by its story or its mechanics or anything else. But the other games that I've, you know, I've been playing tons of Streets of Rogue. That game's amazing. Uh, Procedurally generated levels where you're choosing different characters that you want to play as. Uh, As you go through the game, you're unlocking different classes who get access to new abilities. Uh, So I was playing as, uh, you know, I'm playing as the thief and I'm stealing stuff. I unlock a new character because I broke a bunch of things. Who is he? He's the jock. He has a special ability where he can charge through buildings and he could just break stuff and he gets bonus experience for breaking stuff. And it's just this really cool experience. And it's even cooler in co-op where you're choosing different characters and you're sort of, you know, playing off each other's abilities. I really like that game and just tons of different modifiers, tons of different unlockables and mission types and there's a daily run and it's still an early access with an overly well omer well overwhelmingly positive that's hard to say overwhelmingly positive steam reviews of 95 percent positivity which is commendable mm-hmm. so there you go you said streets of I, rogue right streets of rogue uh, other than that i've been meaning to i know this sounds a little crazy but i think you've heard of this game before called no man's sky no i played a little bit of it actually jumping back in yeah i played a little bit of it actually after they had a they had a big update we haven't talked about it at all um and it was a little while ago at this point like a couple of weeks not 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 like a super super long time ago um but all the like podcasts that i listen to they're still talking about it like giant bomb and giant beast cast they're all still talking about this game yeah um i played a little bit of the intro uh it, it uh is very 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 different it is uh an unrecognizable game from the way it used to be it has more of a focus i guess um everything works a little bit better than it used to there's um more to do in general there's more of a structure to the game actually i guess than there used to be because you really used to be just about like 
keeping your life system supported, trading for newer, better ships and and mining and gun thing, and then just kind of just going around and doing that kind of aimlessly. And then I think when you got to the center of the galaxy, it just reset you on the outside. Um, but now there's more of a story. There's more of a th- there's more things to do. There's multiplayer. Um, there's like all the there's there's uh, missions. There's uh like you know story threads to follow there's tons of upgrades there's like crafting and building and and home home like base building and stuff like that and some of that stuff has been it's kind of like a lot of the other games we talk about these days that are supported over a long time like some of this stuff is not even new to the current update it's just that people weren't interested in some of the bigger updates that they've been doing up until like this massive massive update so it kind of almost means that everything that they've been doing since the beginning, after people kind of fell off in the first day or week or so, um, has kind yeah. of has come back together, and uh, all of it works at the same time. But um, I played a little bit of it, and it's pretty interesting. Yeah, uh, I, I, I that's uh, not did a. Did you know? Sorry, go on. Oh, I just meant that that's that's not a meaningful uh, thing. Just to be like, it's pretty interesting, but I didn't play. Enough. Enough, I didn't get yeah. enough time in it to 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 really swing me one way or the other. Did you know that Dead Cells came out of early access today? Today? I should try it. If should. anybody's been sleeping on Dead Cells, now's the time. 1.0. Yeah. Or, or when it comes out to Switch, right? That's a damn good game. Hey, it's on Switch. Already? Wow. I think so. Look under your seat. Are you looking? I'll have to it's look. Yeah, I'll have to check. Uh, that would be a yes. Um, Dead Cells is on the Nintendo Switch. I meant like look under your seat. It's already there. That's a pretty good game. That's a pretty good game. Uh, have you? So I played Jaipur for the first time this week. Played what? Uh, Jaipur. It's a board game. It's a one versus one board game. It's a card game about trading goods. It is essentially uh, a two-player version of Splendor. Okay, how does that work? And is it a one if, as a one versus one? That's kind of strange to have like the other player be part of your win condition is like to get them to trade things. So the cool thing about it is that like similar to Splendor. So essentially, what it is is you are trying to trade goods to get the most profit. And the way that this works is that uh, you're picking stuff off the table. So you're picking up like brown goods, purple goods, green, silver, gold, or diamond, right? And the thing that's interesting about it is like you want to sell goods back. Some goods have a greater value than others. However, uh, the ones that are sold first have more value. So obviously, if you, you want to get in that, that, that first quick trade of something because it's going to net you more points. However, uh, you could sell like two goods or three goods or four goods and five goods. And if you sell three, four or five, you're going to get bonus points. So like there's this delicate balance of do I want to sell early to pick up that first set of points or do I want to wait and invest in selling, you know, a four, a four or five stack combo so that I get the extra points for that. Okay. And then one of the cool things about this is that it's actually a best two out of three. So oh, they sort of plan. So you, you essentially play two or three games of it and, you know, at the end of it, that's the winner. Did you say how long a game lasts? Like five or ten minutes. Okay, that's that's cool. That's cool to have a to be able to do like a game from the ground up and then expect another game after that. Yeah, as, as long as you're a quick shuffler, then you can get through the game pretty quick. I, I you know what I I realized I got to start looking at like safe shuffling techniques 
like ways to be the most to randomize shuffling the most that don't damage the cards because then there there's like that riffle like that's like the classic shuffling technique that people use where you you split the deck in two and then you do that like you like slowly thought use your your finger to like have the decks fold in on each other but you like super bend the cards and it's really if terrible you get good at it you can just drop the cards once okay. you once you get like good at your riffle, okay. you don't move Yo, the cards. Okay, I can see that being a thing. Yeah, and doing that a couple times. Like I currently do like like cutting the deck and then trying to get the deck to like shuffle in halfway, but I end up doing more like having like the the way that I'm currently shuffling leads a lot of old combinations to exist in the deck if that makes any sense so like if you had if it, a lot of card games in, include like ma- like machikoro for example ends up with a lot of pairings of cards where you have like five of the same card together in your tableau so then when i end up shuffling i'll, I'll end up like splitting it down a lot but then I'll, as i if i looked back at my shuffle it's like because i didn't shuffle it super properly there's multiple times where you're like i'm going through the deck and even though i shuffled it a bunch there's like you'll have like a string of like four of the same card in a row just because like that area never got cut. Maybe just like watch a, a tutorial and when you're at like EMS or something, just keep a deck of cards on you Yeah, and just like shuffle it. Yeah. I, I, I want to learn a better, safer way just because I feel like a lot of games like really like require shuffling and they require good shuffling. You can re- pandemic is a game where if you shuffle poorly, in a lot of cases, you can lose the entire game for everybody. That's true, but also with Pandemic, they also build it in so that like the outbreak cards or whatever they're called are, you know, they're in different places of the deck. They'll never be like the first five cards you draw because essentially you have to set the deck into five, like, you know, you divide it up into five, you shuffle the outbreak cards into those and then you stack them together. Yeah. I mean, that's not in the infection deck though. Like those outbreaks are in the player's deck and you can, first of all, have a situation where, and like, this is the nature of randomness and in general, but, but like we've lost games, uh, uh, like months of pandemic, which pandemic has broken down. The legacy has broken down to 12 months. Uh, we've lost whole months because we got the situation where, uh, the shuffling made it so that the one infection card, one epidemic card was on the bottom of one of the five decks, and then one was on the yeah, top. And, on the... and when I put it together, yeah. people basically would draw one big, huge epidemic, s- screw up the whole board, get, get like, diseases everywhere, hit, like, trigger, like, an outbreak or something, and then after that, like, immediately hit another one and be like, oh, great, we hit an outbreak on top of an outbreak. And because there's no... The scary thing is that, like, because of the way that game works is, like, there's this... The infection deck that you draw from that calls out which which towns which or which cities you're infecting, and you discard put them in a discard deck and then whenever you had draw an epidemic you reshuffle that 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 uh discarded deck and put it on top so when, that means when you're drawing the cards you're drawing from cards that pr- already have infections in them which is really brilliant but if you hit an epidemic right away then that means that the discard pile is so small that there's like two or three cards in there that might that probably already have three which is like the max amount that uh, of disease that it, uh, cubes it can be on one spot and it causes like another outbreak that's this is i just i just yeah, got I into you. i just got into it but, so um, speaking of pandemic legacy uh we, you know earlier we mentioned that the 
Gen Con board game sale was going on on Amazon. That was a one day flash sale. And that was better than Prime Day. That was one of the best sales I've seen on Amazon. That was so exciting. Uh, that was shocking to go th- to go through some of those. Like there were some big, big ones. And uh, oh, man, I'm just now reading a review for Battle of Rokugan. But what? I missed the Gaia Project sale. It was on sale for sixty bucks. Yeah. And I, uh, I didn't. I missed that one. Well, I mean, I'm br- I'm, I'll bring it over. But I've got Terra Mystica. You've got Terra Mystica. They're not so different. No. Spiritual successors. Uh, they so call what them. did you buy? So Pandemic Legacy Season 2, which I hear less good things about. Um, I've heard less good things about, but it could still be fun. And that's what it's about. You know, I think the I think the cool thing about Pandemic Legacy Season 2 is that uh, in Season 1, you have the board from the original Pandemic. Uh, and it starts out basically exactly like pan or exactly, exactly like Pandemic to the point where, like, you can play a couple of rounds on it uh, and it will just be Pandemic. Um basically the same game and then slowly the game changes as you're you know you know breaking up the boxes um with pandemic season legacy season two uh that it is it takes place like post-apocalyptic so i guess you failed the first time no matter even if you succeeded you failed the first time um and the world basically like everyone's the world population exists on these like i think it's like bar like barges like uh like uh the because it's like a water world kind of situation but anyway um the kind of cool thing is that you're putting down sticker like the like the board is basically like empty at first so there's not that many places to expect to infect and then you're kind of putting down sticker stickers to build out the board which is a really cool concept i feel like um so yes i did get pandemic legacy season two uh what else did you get? You got uh, Castles of Burgundy. I did get Castles of Burgundy. Uh, that Stephen, was that was Steffenfeld Darling. That was a uh, very cheap. That was uh, everything was off forty percent. Um, so or more it, in some or more cases. In some cases. Yeah. So I'm for, so with Castles of Burgundy, I ended up getting it for twenty, which seemed like a steal, and I'm excited to try that out. Not a very aesthetic looking. Not a very like interesting aesthetic uh, game. But you don't um, like sheep's. You don't like farming. I don't like sheep's. If I want, if I like sheep's, I'd play Lowlands. Um, you don't uh, like icon- iconography because all those, you know, part oh, of the Oh man, Ur- I do Euro not like style, symbology. Part of the Euro style is that symbology, and and do you know the reason? It's very uh, obvious. Because uh, that way they can they can appeal to English speakers and speakers from anywhere without That's a right. language barrier. Euro, yeah. So French, German, no matter what, everybody can understand the iconography. It's beautiful. They don't because, have to print new boards well, yeah, because it reduces the manufacturing cost. That's amazing. That's interesting. Um, but also, sometimes it leads to a hot mess. Uh, Gaia Project, which is Z-Man game, uh, that is a mess of symbology. Um, I'm familiar with this because I have played Terra Mystica. That is, but, so that is, what that, else did you that get? That is the most terrifying. Okay, so what else did I get? I got Broom Service. Oh, you also got Broom Service. What I the got hell? Broom Service too. I thought you, you sent me a text like you should get it. No, I said I got it. No, you didn't. Oh, fuck. Well, that's okay. We've got two copies of Broom Service between us. Okay. Um, I, picked I already up... have. I, I, I literally sent you a picture of my copy of Broom Service, which I got same day. All right. Well, I was. I had a very busy weekend. It was very hot and very busy and bothered. Even. All right. Well, what else did you get? Um, I got two of the exit games that I haven't played. Uh, still like them, and I've played. We've played almost all of them together. Um, me and my LTCP. Um, other than that, I got the Harry Potter uh, card building game, uh, 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 deck oh building my. game. Um, that is 
actually talked up to be a really kind of cool game. Um, uh, USAopoly or whatever uh, made it, and uh, and uh, there's surprisingly good reviews of people in it. It's really cool because you play, um, you basically like build a deck in every year of Harry Potter and like fight, go through like a narrative story for that year. And it's, like, an interesting kind of, like, legacy-based game where you're, like, opening up card packs and, like, putting together a deck to, like, fight Professor Quarrel from year one. And then all the uh, cards are get better looking as time goes on, as the kids got better looking. Like, you take the you take those little kids from from Sorcerer's Stone, and then, you, and then every, all the cards, the artwork, just does the current up-to-date pictures from each era of Harry Potter. Very cool. Um... And I also, during the podcast last week, unrelated to the sale, bought Azul. Um, I kind of want to buy Battle Battle for Rokugan was off, and I kept looking at it, and now I regret I didn't buy it. And especially since there's, like, on our board games, there's a Battle for Rokugan review, and then everyone in there is like, yeah, I love this game. No one talks about it, but I love it. See, that's that comes up every year for Millennium Blades. Oh, the yeah. Millennium, the annual Millennium Blades appreciation thread. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. But it is hard. It, it feels hard to get people to to sit down to play that. So what did you get? I don't know. Uh, I got too many games. Uh, that's what they call so you, I too got, many games, James. That's Mason. my favorite nickname. Yeah. James uh, with so a, lot a lot of games. I got Clank in Space, which is a... It is not an expansion to Clank, but it is sort of like a side expansion. A standalone? Where, yeah, it is a standalone What's funny is that Clank in Space actually just got its first expansion, uh, where essentially it's just a Clank with different board, totally different deck, and it's a little more complicated. I thought you said that um, that people didn't have great things to say about Clank in Space. Uh, from what I've heard, no, I, I don't think that's true. People, the one, the thing that people don't like is people don't like the first Clank expansion. The Mummy, or so. No, no, it was like an undersea expansion. Oh, or like that. oh yeah, okay. People, people actually had problems with the initial clank where they thought that it was solvable, and that the expansion sort of answered that in a good way, for being a little more complicated and uh, having a lot more options available to the player. So I'm excited to check that out. It was like twenty bucks, so why not? Uh, I got Castles of the Mad King Ludwig. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that one, not but it won a ton of awards. It's a tile laying game where essentially every player is trying to build a different castle and each round, another player is elected to be the master builder who's setting the prices on the rooms that can be purchased by the other players. So the other players are contending with the prices of the rooms set by this builder. They're also contending with the synergy of the rooms that they have and the will of the Mad King. So sort of just like juggling a lot of different things at once uh, to place the best tiles in the best places. Mm -hmm. I got the Modern Art board game, uh, which is essentially, it's like a buying and selling and auctioning game where people are buying, like, it's a little hard to explain, but it's a, it's essentially an auctioning game where different people are putting different cards up for auction and people are bidding on them and then trying to sell the most stuff. It's a little hard to explain, but it's apparently a great board game. So maybe uh, that makes it a bad ga uh, gate game. I I'm really bad at words today. Yeah, I'm bad at words. I mean, it's too hot for words. Wish my air conditioner were running. 
during this air conditioning I, podcast. I, essentially, I, d- I just wanted to get a bunch of simple games. I got King Domino and uh, Queen the Domino. standalone and also, you know, expansion, Queen Domino. Apparently, you could put them together or you could play them separately. But King Domino is similar. It's a, it is a tile placement game. Pretty simple. One a domino placement? Okay. Uh, it, it came out super recently, too, in like 2016. And it already has a spinoff and an expansion and has won like tons of awards. Uh, essentially, and, and maybe this is a bad way to buy your board games, but essentially I looked at how many awards these different games won. I looked at their score and I looked at how many people said you should buy this game. And then I bought a bunch of games. Uh, so I also got, and, and yeah, so this is a pretty long list. I got Aeon's End. Oh, I'm excited which about is, that one. It is a cooperative deck building game where you're fighting monsters. You know, there's a legacy game coming out. For Aeon's End, I can believe it. Yeah. Where you're building up a deck over time to fight monsters. Almost like Gloomhaven. But in Gloomhaven, you're kind of just working with that hand. Yeah. Uh, I also got One Night Ultimate Werewolf. uh, Just in case I'm entertaining a group of party, you know, like a party or something. And people like see all those board games on my shelf and say, "Hey, like, hey, can we play something?" Uh, I feel like One Night Ultimate Werewolf would be just something I could pull off the shelf and play. Yeah, they have a lot of those One Night Ultimate games. Yeah, so I figured I would just go with the one that was like the most popular. Yeah, and it's kind of cool also because it has like a an iOS and Android app version of it that like sort of integrates with the physical game. And I kind of dig that. It, it reminds me a little bit of like Jackbox where you have like you're doing some stuff on your phone and then you're doing some stuff on the screen where everyone can see it. And I, I think that's like a cool like way to, you know, involve tech with games. Mm-hmm. But all in all, I got eight, eight games. OK, because I also got that's responsible, room I think Can it was put- less than two hundred dollars for eight games. OK. All right. So I'd say that's pretty good, especially as someone who looked at the um, the max tier for escape plan that includes four games, which I, by the way, did not back. Oh, yeah. OK, I it's backed, too I backed of... that at the gallerist. Paul owns gallerist, so I feel like I would just play his copy. Um, I did just back the bargain quest expansion. Me, too. I love the art. And I'm hoping that that expansion can come can because I did have a lot of fun with that game and I I haven't stopped think, thinking about it. Uh, really like the art, the components. Um, there's a lot of fun stuff, but I feel like uh, reading over that Kickstarter, there's a lot of uh, additions to the game to make it a little bit more unique and random every single time because I felt like it was a little too dry. Seeing the same, we we ended up seeing a lot of the same stuff over and over again. Um, and and it's cheap too. That expansion is twenty bucks. Yeah, uh, but they're adding a lot of cards, so that can add it. That can you know do away with some of my issues. Uh, they also added like an erotic cards kind of thing, where there's a lot of uh, cards like that scenarios I scenarios or something. Yeah, that might have been like underpowered or overpowered and stuff like that. So um, yeah, so that's what I got. I backed it at the thirty dollars here, which gives me the expansion, one, two, and three bonus packs, and the errata update card pack. And if they also, I'm, a, I'm assuming they'll have add-ons, so I'll add on the first expansion. Oh, the add-ons are already out. You can see what they are. 
they haven't announced them, but they've they haven't really like announced what they actually are, but they are allowing you to pay for it already. They're like they have like a little area that's like, yeah, these are going to be all the add-ons in the campaign. We'll slowly tell you about them, but here's how much they cost. Oh, cool! I didn't see that. Maybe yeah. I should like read through the stuff I back. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah. So that was uh that was that Amazon sale. That's pretty much where I'm at. Uh, did you play any games this week? Don't tell me about Dragon Ball. Um, I I won't tell you about Dragon Ball in the context of playing it, but I will tell you about Evo 2018, which was excellent. Uh, very good Evo this year. Um, very good Evo for announcements. Very good Evo for everything for the the fighting game community. I feel like it went off pretty well this year without any kind of like stories or as much as like. Like, there's always, like, the Smash community getting into fights with people and st- or, you know, people getting into fights with the Smash community as well. Uh, it's probably a two-sided problem. Um, but uh, nothing bad and mostly good stuff, and it seemed, seemed like a lot of good vibes all around and that the tournaments ended up um, uh, really delivering, especially on Sunday, which was the day that they did all the top eights. So they had the top eights for uh, Guilty Gear, uh, Smash, Melee, uh, Tekken, Dragon Ball and street fighter i think that's all of them and it ended up that uh dragon ball fighters was the most watched of any uh evo top eight of all time and it didn't imagine that and it didn't even come in it wasn't even the the headliner i thought it was headlining but it it, it went in the order that i just said where it was i started it started out guilty gear uh then went to smash and then went to tekken then went to dragon ball then went to street fighter and even though Street Fighter was the, the final event and like the main event, basically, uh, Dragon Ball Fighters had the uh, highest viewership and uh, an American one. Uh, not a very surprising name here, Sonic Fox. Uh, but it was a it was a great story. Um, kind of like, you know, uh, Evo always has these kind of stories of the different trials and tribulations and who, you know, loses at Evo to who. Because it's the biggest fighting game tournament of the of the year. I, I forget I, I've, if I've even made that clear yet. But it is it is the biggest fighting game tournament of the year. It includes basically every game. How many air game. conditioners do you need for that? Uh, you need a lot. And that's one of the things that I was originally concerned about. And I wasn't initially excited about Evo until I really uh read about how many air conditioners they had and then you know in doing that reading i kind of through osmosis got heard about all these fighting games like what is this about and that's why you play fighting games and that's why today. i played that's fighting games this year and not not a lot of people know about yeah not a lot of people know about that is that my that in 2008 when i began to play fighting games a lot that was mostly because that was around the same time that i was very interested in air conditioners that's when i bought my first major air conditioner um and at the time i was looking at different cons and how they kind of what air conditioners they use to cool and different air conditioner reviews and i in the evo cons you know they had great air conditioners so um the but uh anyway uh it was sonic fox and goichi in the grand finals which if anyone follows dragon ball like that's a very uh that's like basically the kind of you expected and it's kind of amazing at the same time because dragon ball fighters is a game that can sometimes like i think a lot of fighting games especially if they're not like you know tekken where they include like a million one frame links into like certain really weird characters that might have like really tight execution or like even just the simple act of like moving around in tekken is like very skill based uh i think when any game gives you accessible options for players that maybe don't sit around and practice all the time not to say that these players don't 
not to say that you know Sonic Fox or Goichi obviously put in a lot of work, but I think it's very cool because uh, Dragon Ball Fighters, no matter what people want to say about it, or like, oh, the game is too offensive and rock paper scissorsy, and you block for like ten minutes and then get opened up and then eat one cell combo and die. Um, I thought it was really crazy that in the in Dragon Ball Fighters, the biggest highest number of entrants to any Evo event of all time. Like, the most entrance to any Evo tournament was Dragon Ball Fighters, and it ended up with, like, the two fam- most famous that always end up at the end of the tournaments. Like, in a, even with a lot of other games that, like, are purported to be, like, very balanced and, you know, like, you have times where people show up and they don't have a good day or, like, you have, like, Tekken where a lot of times you have the same names at the top or melee that has like the gods that end up in the end of everything i think it's pretty crazy to have like a such a stacked large tournament with tons of entrants and it's insane that someone like sonic fox you know they go through the entire tournament and like he didn't lose a game until grand finals basically and that's amazing that's crazy that like he went through so many randos in the beginning and so many amazing people in the top 64 and whatever like the top 16 as well and then like to still end up with those two names goichi and sonic fox in the end in the grand finals when like it's been like them at the top basically like vying for control throughout the entire life so you're saying it's of... almost like this game is skill-based yeah i mean like i i just think it's an interesting thing to to think about is like I, no matter how skill-based some fighting games are you do have like I, I i admit like fighting games are about psychology and some of that comes down to like rock paper scissors mechanics stuff like like training your opponent to always think that in this situation you're going to do something and then you give them the other option and sometimes that can end up being a guessing game of like, well, I just guessed wrong. Like, like, well, my opponent always attacks me on wake up. So I'm going to use an invincible reversal here. And this time my opponent happened to, to block and I guessed wrong and that's it. And that's why I lost the, the game. But like, but I think it's interesting to like look back at this game and, and this Evo and see like how much the work that people have been putting into these games has really, come to life has really like had like the fruits of their labor has been have been harvested and uh that's beautiful and it was an amazing top eight for the games that i watched i watched the uh tekken top eight throughout that whole thing i watched the um dragon ball fighters and the street fighter uh those top eights and they were all really incredible they were all really really incredible all like you know, very exciting, very which hype. Which one surprised you the most? Uh, maybe which one surprised me the most? Maybe Street Fighter actually, because this guy who is like really never placed that high at Street Fighter tournaments, Problem X, who is a UK player, um, ended up winning uh in the grand finals against Tokido, who won last year and is one of the absolute strongest players in fighting game history if not if you had to probably put a name on it a lot of people would just like generically say daigo but i think tokido actually ends up being like the most venerated and decorated uh uh fighting game player uh but uh so so it it ended up being yeah problem x who is a bison who is not even really considered that good but i consider that character broken as hell if you play online i don't like him but uh, uh, Problem X ended up winning against Tokido, which is a real shocker. Um, uh, it is pretty uncommon for uh, anyone except a non-Japanese person to win uh, 
Evo or Capcom Cup or anything. Uh, I know, I know Mena, Mena RD, I think, won Capcom Cup uh, last year, which was also a shocker, but he played kind of a character that uh, a lot of people think is a little um, dirty, Dirt McGirt. Um, but anyway, uh, so yeah, the Street Fighter uh, tournament was was uh, really interesting and shocking in a lot of cases. The Tekken tournament had this whole thing where uh, this king player, this American king player, uh, Little Majin, uh, did like unbelievably well. Like to even get into top eight in Tekken is like unheard of for non-Koreans and like the rare Japanese. Like that is a completely Korean dominated uh, game and he beat like JDCR and some of the best absolute best uh, Tekken players. Uh, he didn't make it to grand finals and grand finals ended up being this weird slop fest of nerves between uh, these two uh, uh, Tekken players, High Low and was it JDCR or saying it? I don't, I don't know. But anyway, um, that was that was really good. That was a really exciting tournament. Uh, Dragon Ball Fighters really exciting as well with Sonic Fox ending up winning. I think one of the cool things, I guess, about that just is that Sonic Fox as a player, he shows up to, like, every Evo, and he wins a lot of the side games that people don't care that much about, like the NRS, yeah. like the, like, Mortal Kombat and Injustice. And what? what? He cleans up on the back end. Yeah, but, but it's weird because it's like he's been so dominant in the games he's played, uh, but he doesn't get a lot of respect because like he's never had like he's never been like on this big main stage taking it with like a huge huge win for like a big game that a lot of people care about that has a huge number of entrants and this this like for his career in fighting games to always have that kind of like yeah Sonic Fox is good but he's an NRS player and those games like you don't even need to be that good because they have a low number of entrants and nobody really cares that much about them and then for this Dragon Ball Fighters the most objectively the most cared about fighting game right now with the highest viewership and the highest entrant and he won so like it was a very like vindicating kind of thing for for him to be this this longtime successful Evo champ that kind of doesn't get looked at it like the like people you know when they think about big fighting game players they had there's tons of names that pop up and I don't think Sonic Fox is really one of them until Dragon Ball Fighters where he started to get recognition because he's putting his skills to test to the test in a more uh currently mainstream game but I think uh so Evo was incredible I would say the whole thing I had a great time watching it the uh, best Evo you've ever watched yeah I mean some of it is like Evos kind of get better I I think like it's I'm excited I'm happy to say that this was the best Evo I've ever watched I, they kind of get better in a lot of cases um and it was a great it, it's been kind of a good year for fighting games in a lot of cases um what I have a question yeah are, let's say that you are watching a magic tournament, right? Is that esports or p sports? If it's streamed, well, yeah, sure. It's e then it's esports. It's on Twitch. That's not fair because if it's uh, so if you watched a soccer game on Twitch, that would be esports. That's esports. No. That's esports. Also, like, what if Dota is on ESPN? That's p sports. P-sports are on... Oh, that's it, it, huh? it, Yeah, yeah. Esports e and P-sports, it doesn't really have to do with whether or not it's physical or electronic. It's it's really more about the media that you're sharing, that you're consuming it on. And if you are getting it on uh, Twitch, then it's a esport. And if you're watching it on TV, it's a P-sport. 
End of story. Dota is a peace port. I thought than I thought. All right. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting breakdown when you when you think about it. But uh uh the I feel like one of the craziest things about Evo this year was that the announcements were were the hands down most bonkers announcements. Uh, last year Evo had like You mean where they announced all the new Smash characters? Yeah. Uh last year they had uh a well basically Tekken is turning into Smash Brothers for life it's mugen tekken is mugen yeah who did they add now like ricky gervais or something yeah so they added so tekken added anna and lei wulong which were old tekken characters and they're adding negan from walking dead the guy with the spiked bat that is an out of left field choice but that, yeah that's just fine whatever i mean I, some people are complaining spiked bat maybe that makes more sense in like Soul Calibur, which always has stupid fucking characters, which has and also has weapons, right? Yes. Like I, I like because like what I've always wanted. Like my dream fight has always been um, Geralt from The Witcher and Negan from The Walking Dead. I, that's I, I've I've known that one thing about you. That is your dream fight. You dream it every night. You liter it's literally your dream fight. As in every night that you close your eyes, you see Negan from The Walking Dead. Uh, and G- Geralt from The Witcher beating up on each other. That's a that's a hellish nightmare. That uh, no yeah, hellish and, and nightscape you live at some point. The only thing that could make it better would be like, you know, in in my dream scenario, they're in this arena that is encircled by two hundred Frigidaire six thousand BTU <laughs> window mounted models. That's a lot of GPF. That's the good stuff. That's the good stuff right there. Oh my god. Imagine that like those are the well, they're the fans, right? Like like you you look around and all the and every seat is filled. The butts in the seat are air conditioner butts and they're all going off at the same time and maybe they're shaking a little bit, creating a little and bit I like of rumbling. The idea that none of the butts are sweating. None like, of the butts are sweating. Packed, it doesn't smell bad. Cool. It does not smell bad. You cannot you go in there and it smells fresh it doesn't you don't smell bo you just smell you just smell you know clean nice recycled air at a lower temperature um but so so yeah the tekken that was their announcement um uh street fighter oh oh, actually i'll 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 do uh this i'll do this after so uh dragon ball fighters a little they showed a little bit more of base goku and base vegeta i don't know what they're waiting for why there's not a date for them yet um and then uh it showed cooler which is not surprising at all um because prophecies. We, we we know that it's cooler and android 17 are the last two for this uh season and uh that's cool he looks he looks neat he he's he's good i feel like they do a horrible job with trailers and maybe in general fighting game trailers are very hard to understand because they you know they're not really showing you what that character will do sometimes they're just showing you combos and it's like that looks cool but i don't really understand like like what i'm more interested in like what are the like what does that look like what do you want them to show you like a bunch of normals and specials yeah yeah like i I would rather just see a really boring boringly produced trailer of like them pressing the the L button and then waiting a second and then pressing the M button and waiting a second and showing you like oh look at that M button it looks like the hitbox is big and it kind of has a good travel time on it like that's what I want to see because then because that's how you really know um but anyway 
Um, uh, so yeah, they showed Cooler, uh, looks neat, uh, looks cool. And one of the reasons why I like Cooler and Frieza is because their entire race is named after, after cooling appliances, which, uh, Akira Toriyama, can I say it again? Cause if we don't say it every week on this podcast, one of the most brilliant minds that we are alive at the same time. I mean, it's so smart. A race of Frieza and Cooler. That's amazing. That's, that's good a, stuff. King, King Cold. That's you know I love that. That's amazing. That's incredible. Anyway, I think the best announcement. I think probably if you're going to tell me what the biggest shock of Evo was, it was the Street Fighter announcement, which we. It, it, the, I thought this was kind of ballsy last year uh, at Evo. They just showed off every character that's going to come out this season. They didn't. They they showed them in a trailer. They didn't necessarily show any fighting of them. They just showed like their aesthetics and then lined up in a row, which when the characters would basically be coming out in what order. Um, so we're up to currently, we were up to G um, and it was supposed to be G and Sagat were the last two characters to come out this season. Um, so everyone would have expected a G trailer and, you know, that was not a surprise. That was actually kind of not hidden. Um, leading up to the tournament, there was a lot of hints at it. Capcom Twitter hinting at it. Ono's Twitter hinting at G uh, trailer coming out. So you would. So like, I was expecting that G trailer, and they show a G trailer, and G looks really interesting. And I'll get more on that in a little bit. But um, then Ono comes out at the end of the G trailer wearing a uh, a eye patch like Sagat. And that is a fan character that people have been wanting for a really long time. That is probably like the most re- he is for whatever reason he is the most requested character. He is the absolute most requested character uh, of any of the returning characters. And but why? Why? I mean, uh, I know that he was like the best. Like, obviously, people spent a lot of time on Sagat, but maybe I'm alone in thinking that like Sagat was kind of boring. Um, I guess like do you think that Sagat he, does good things for the game, though, like his playstyle. He adds a hugely different aspect to the the playstyle because to, to the game because he is like the hardest zoner in the game usually. Like usually he is like the most frustrating zoner. Like with with Guile, you know, like he's even but he's like has even faster projectiles than Guile because he doesn't have to charge him. So like Sagat is I don't know like people like that character. I I kind of get it. I don't fully get it, but um. I think it's healthy overall for Street Fighter Five because it doesn't have as much zoning in it. So maybe if you have like an aggressively good zoner that you can actually rely on his zoning tactics rather than just like being more rushed down like a lot of the other characters that are even even like Guile, who is like famous for being only a zoner with like two abilities, is like actually sort of has like really good pressure in Street Fighter Five. Yeah, uh, but so so maybe Sagat will be. Will will be interesting in that he'll be really more focused on zoning rather than because Dalsim, another character that is like a really zoning based character, but they built him like this like teleport rushdown monster, whatever. Um, you know, the weird thing about Dalsim is like I look at his kit and he's a character that I should like, but I hate him. Yeah, is that is there a reason? Or are you just a bigot? We we do I, often I, you know, say I, that we're bigots. Has, you know, I feel like you should just cut that part out, but I think that it's actually just because he feels very slow. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he isn't that slow when you when if you watch people who really know how to play him, and and maybe it's like the stretchy limbs. Like yeah, I mean, he's not, not that much. He's not really like that, that much Mr. about Fantastic stretchy limbs style. in five, but but he's got him, doesn't he? He's got him. I'll tell you what stretches. Um. Anyway, so the crazy thing Go was on. the crazy thing was that no, the, no. Tell me what stretches. His not his wanger do. Um. But uh, 
Wow. Uh, yeah, there you go. That's that's the that's the if you, if people make it an hour and thirty minutes into this podcast, that's what they should be expecting anyway. So I'm giving it. That's to them. the reward. Uh, that's the reward. The the reward. If you're gonna listen to an hour and thirty minutes of this garbage, then you should you should at least get to hear me say Wanger do and one in in any context at least once. But anyway, the um, yeah, the, I think the real shocker was that they show the Sagat trailer, which is kind of like that is not to be expected, and that wasn't remotely that wasn't spoiled beforehand like i don't think anyone expected that at all because he came out with the eye patch and even then i was thinking like oh yeah i know because the next character is sagat and now you're gonna tease like yep maybe like we'll have sagat out soon and like he's looking really good uh but they show sagat trailer and people are so excited because q and sagat both looked really cool and then the end of the sagat trailer says both of them are out tomorrow I, I just think that that is really cool. Like, I, I don't think that Capcom has supported That's that, it, that right? game that well. And I have, and we've had tons of complaints and like, I fell off of it pretty hard because I fell so hard for Dragon Ball Fighters. But like, I, I am interested in playing now. Uh, I, I'm interested in playing a little bit more online and like versus and getting to know some of the new characters a little bit better because there's a lot of cool characters that came out, especially this season. Um, Capcom is doing yeah, a, a little I'll, bit better I'll at support. I always appreciate a 1v1 game over other games. Yeah, I, can, I, think, I think that Capcom is doing a better job supporting uh, than they have in the past. And I think it's really that is a real cool like like I, I they have often felt like a developer that just is like scrambling and you have no idea why they're so like all, like low budget for what they're supposed to be and that to me that is a big like that is like a power move that is like that is like look at us so like we like you know you think we can't handle anything we put out two like excellent looking characters they have like their animations are incredibly good looking they are just like gorgeous characters with lots of nuance and lots of abilities and lots of interesting ways to maybe take them play style wise and they came out at the same time and like that is i think that's a shocker i think that's very cool um i got on a little bit before the podcast to do some of the of g's trials um i always thought that so q is was probably my favorite fighting game character before fight uh uh dragon ball fighters and now up in the top of my favorite fighting game characters of all time with like q and guile is probably uh vegito and zamasu um but uh my my favorite fighting game character is arakune yeah i wonder if they would who thought i wonder if they would give you anything like that who amy from soul caliber Oh wow, Soul Calibur is looking pretty good too. But um, uh, yeah, uh, I was excited because Q. Well, I don't really like the way he looks, but uh, I thought G. G yeah, I thought that G uh, was an obviously a send up to Q. Why don't you like the way he looks? He looks like well, so G is what ostensibly looks like if a politician um was doing had like a really horrible cocaine and heroin addiction which happens i'm sure but like they were outed for it and then they were like broke and then their wife divorced them and then they ended up on the streets and then they started bodybuilding but they never really kicked the habit and i feel like a better way to do it is like if someone made if a pro wrestler dressed up as abraham lincoln yeah 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 okay yeah, like an, a, like an Abraham Lincoln pro wrestler. But I think that there's a little bit of drugs in there somewhere. 
There's a little bit of drugs. Yeah, he's right a, in he's the got eyes. a weird he's got a weird stagger. Uh, he's got a weird kind of like like sauntering creepy movement. But um so I w- I w- always thought he would kind of be like Q a little bit. Uh the trailer doesn't show off like how he really plays that much, but he does have an alternate costume that is a Q costume. He has a mask on, and he has like the Q top hat and the trench coat. Um but playing that character, it almost makes me like happy and sad at the same time because holy shit so street fighter 5 they took all the when they they their designs i think as much as street fighter 5 has had all these issues i think it's really cool the way that they took a lot of the designs of characters and they basically like kept their integrity but added a lot to them instead of just like more um dutifully craft just porting the character over they more like took concepts that the character is supposed to have in their kit and like really built on it and so and a lot of the characters that were returning have that essence of this like cool kind of style of like well it is guile but like this guile is like bigger badder and more boomy than you've ever seen and it's going to play in a lot different way and it's exciting i think it's kind of exciting and with with g uh they really did they super took q's kit and made it into Street Fighter Five, so I will would be shocked if Q will never come to that game. Because um, G for every character that they've released, except for like Abigail, I look at them and say I could play that game again. Yeah, I think Zeku is actually really cool. I played Ze- I played a little bit when Zeku came out in Monat. Um, there's some really cool characters. G uh, and Cody but... is out now, right? Yeah, Cody's out. Cody was one of my favorites in four. Actually, he was in Ultimate. But I kind of went from like my first character was Cammy, and I fell off that pretty quick, and then got onto Balrog, aka Boxer, and uh, eventually it was like Balrog and Guile, and um, eventually Cody and Guy when they came out, uh, and Balrog and Guile as well. But uh. Uh, so everyone I like is kind of in it um, at this point, and there's a big, huge roster. The roster is massive, uh, so people have yeah. good opinions on that game now. And uh, now, and at the same time, we got Sagat and G. And G is Q. He like make no mistake. It's he's a weird, updated version of Q. Q's main things were that uh, in Street Fighter Three, they b- basically got rid of most of the cast, and then they took the kits of all the characters and mixed them up in ways that they probably should never have. And what Q was, and he's probably the worst character in the game, arguably worse than Sean, uh, Sean Killian, who is on this podcast, not the character from Street Fighter 3, is Q It was a grappler slash Balrog. So he's like a slow, uh, like slow moving, uh, really weighty grappler that also has Balrog's rush punches. And he had like a... Mid- medium rush punch that like hit mid and he had a low reaching rush punch and then he has like a couple co- he has a command grabs where he like grabs you hits you yeah. up into the air and he can follow up with the rush punches which Q does he does all of that Q has every single thing that that, that uh, G has every single thing that Q had so G has the exact exact animation wow. of GQ. Q GQ yeah the, like the men's magazine it's another funny joke um, but um so That's a good one. He has the same thing where he grabs someone's shoulder and then he like punches them up into the air and he can follow with rush punches. He has like a he has like a medium hitting rush punch and a low hitting rush punch. Uh and he also has for whatever weird reason 
um like uh shoryukeni kick thing but that's yeah so yeah like g is a weirdly updated version of q without the interesting aesthetic and the creepy undertones um but now he's a uh abraham lincoln style roided out wrestler who in my mind uh did too much heroin and he's weird, but he's he's really All cool. Right. He's oh, the other thing I was gonna say about Q is that uh, or G, sorry, oh my god, is that one Thank of you. so the main thing. So I was saying what 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 Q is about and his things is like he was about the lunge punching and grappling. But one of the main things was that everyone in tech in uh, Street Fighter Three had a personal taunt that would do something and had some effect. And Q had probably the most important taunt in the game for his game plan, and that would be that he would get more life every time he taunted up to a maximum of i think four where it would like effectively double his life bar which was already a massive life bar to begin with um but uh g is built around a system where he basically has a taunt power up that he has to like do the he has the same q style where he's like a grappler slash rush punch character but he has a taunt that he has to do to power up his moves so he's kind of like it's another way that it's like a nod to the Q character with this new G character. Um, yeah, so that's what I want to say about Street Fighter. All right. Any new life updates? Um, it's too hot to have life updates. All right. Uh, so I just used my new air fryer for the first time, and I'm really excited about that. How thing. does that work? I've seen those that like to make like what fries or something. I used it to make pork chops, but you can make wings and fries and wings. stuff like that in it. Essentially, it's just like a fryer with none of the mess because it's all like air-based. It's also healthier for you because it has like this drip tray where all of the like oils and stuff like that or grease are dripping off of the food and just sort of leaving you with like crispy, crunchy food. What is it's it doing? Super, like what is it doing? It's, it's, it's essentially imagine the way that like, uh, you know, like a deep fryer works where you're submerging it in like hot oil. But instead what this is doing is you're submerging it in super hot air. Like yeah, super so why would the, air. Okay. So the oils are come running off of it, but it's, you're not adding oil to dripping it. Below it. Okay. Yeah. And then they're dripping below it, but, but it makes it like crispy, but it's like, it's, it's cool because so, it's like it's crispy, dehydrating but it. Right. It's like, but it's not like drippy. Yeah, it would be dehydrating it though, right? Like if you're gonna fry something, you're frying it in something so it soaks up that oil. So even if you make something super crispy in a fryer, like the center of it has to have soaked up a lot of the fat and oil and stuff like that, right? So it keeps everything in there. It's not like really drying it out, but I, I don't know. Like I can't say for sure because the first thing that I cooked were pork chops, and I overcooked them for sure. But I'll report back when I make wings. Is that a wings or W Y N G Z? Uh, the official uh, USDA approved W I N G S. Oh, okay. I thought you were, I thought you were a bad boy. I'm a good boy. Okay, you're a good boy. Um, so while this was happening, there was also a Steam sale for board game video games. Oh yeah, and you bought some stuff, right? I bought um Scythe and Terra Mystica. Scythe was $16, and I think it comes, uh, ba like, it's usually at 19 which isn't bad. Especially considering the game, the core game of Scythe is, is like, 60 bucks. That's on sale. Yeah, you know there's but... actually, like, a mobile app for uh, Terra Mystica 2. Oh, yeah? 
Terra Mystica 2 Gaia Project, yeah. you mean? I sure do. Yeah, excellent. Um, but uh, so and I got yeah, Terra Mystica was cheap as hell. That was like seven bucks, and it doesn't really it has a goofy ass style. But um, Scythe is a really cool. Uh, the video game port of Scythe is very cool and uh, really interesting from a board game standpoint because I I can you know set up however many opponents I want and like set up some pre determined conditions and stuff like that and then undo turns. So it kind of like allows me to see just how bad at Scythe I am. And it's really interesting because uh, I feel like I the video game of Scythe is making me appreciate the board game Scythe a lot more. Um, just because uh, watching how the opponent, the AI opponent, plays the game and what they do is like, oh, that's interesting that they always go for these certain things. So for, so for example, like they'll usually like rush uh, to four um workers which is like an efficient number of workers and then uh create uh something to get a bottom row action and like i started to realize like how often my plays aren't thought out in the future like i'll work towards something to get a bottom row action but i'm not setting up like a bottom row action in the future this is very uh it's basically like it's basically like i'm realizing how inefficient i am how like the real way to play scythe is to set up like an engine not that this should surprise anybody, but like to set up an engine that allows for you to like get the most out of every turn that what I end up doing is like, I will set up a turn and then do something the next turn. And then I kind of end up like, okay, well now what do I want? I made that mech. What do you want? I made that mech. Now what do I want? And uh, I hope to play the Terra Mystica uh, video game soon and understand it before I go to your house. Cause that would be cool to like sit down and be like, "Hey, listen, I, you don't have to explain it to me. I got jumped in. I had, I did a, I get uh, it. I did a tutorial. Yeah, sure. So that is the deal with games, though. That does sound like the deal with games. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, this has been WTDG Podcast. You can find us online wtdgpodcast.com on tw- at Twitter. Words are hard at sign WTDG Podcast. Uh, iTunes. What's the deal with games? Where you can rate, comment, subscribe. Thank you, Ryan Gowan, crying for the use of your music. We use the intro and outro revive off the new album, Beyond the Fleeting Gales. You can find them at the Run for Cover Bandcamp. And um, I just got some breaking news about the new Smash Brothers. Did you know Go that? On. Did you know that the magazine GQ will be playable? It's a it's Whoa, a it's, it's a, a sentient it's a sentient magazine. It's a well, men's magazine. You will get to fight Negan in the new Negan has also been announced. And both of them wow. are out tomorrow. You know what's crazy? Okay, so they announced that the magazine GQ and Negan would be coming to Smash Brothers, and they said it's out. They're out tomorrow, but the game isn't even but out the yet. Game's not out. Yeah, that's, that's how the they problem. Do it. That's how they get you. That's how they get you. Because then you get excited and you're like, "Wow!" And but it's like, who's to say that they aren't out tomorrow? Maybe they made a patch not for me. Negan and GQ, but you can't play it. You can't get the patch. Anyway, that's excellent. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks.